0: This is episode number 271 with Ben Chesler of The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now, the
0: Founder Podcast, even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. What's going on Founder fam? Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of this podcast. So I'm a little bit jet lagged, I have to admit. Sometimes I share with you guys what's happening in my world. I've uh, just come back from San Francisco uh, for a short five-day trip to do an incredible interview. Probably can't share with you guys uh, who it is, but Uh, incredible founder, has built a household name company that has hundreds, well, half a billion plus users. Can't wait to share the interview with you. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, Let's talk about today's guest, Ben Chesler. Fascinating story. He's the founder of a company called Imperfect Produce. And we have a really, really good conversation around business strategy how he's taking on big behemoth markets with uh, Imperfect Produce and how he's using an element of social good behind what he's doing. And he's just got like, these guys have an incredible cause. Like forget about an element of social good. Like what they're doing is, is solving a really big pain in the marketplace, but not just the marketplace, the world. I really enjoyed my conversation with Ben and I know you will learn a ton from when it comes to strategy, business models, and then also how to create a product that will sell so well because it solves like such a deep problem in the marketplace. So before we jump in, I just wanted to say, guys, if you are enjoying these interviews, if we are providing you any kind of value, I just kindly ask that you check out our other content. Go to founder.com, check out our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to build it. Uh, We're doing a lot of these interviews in video form. Soon all will be in video form going forward um, and shot in our US office in New York. So guys, please check out our other content. We write so many blog posts. We have a magazine. We have an incredible book. We have all these courses with incredible founders teaching all the things that you want to learn on what it takes to build and grow a successful business and please do share this podcast with any of your friends or, or share with your friends what we're doing at Founder. We really are trying to build an incredible company that really, you know, democratizes entrepreneurial education and, and so you can learn from these incredibly successful founders. So that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump in the show. The first question we ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job?
1: Yeah, so uh, that's a funny story, and the short answer is uh, my co-founder showed up my apartment in Providence with a giant, ugly sweet potato and said, "This is what you're doing next year." And I said, "Sure," um, but I can give a little bit of more context there. So, uh, in college, uh, I started a nonprofit with uh, Ben Simon called the Food Recovery Network, which was taking recovered food from college campuses that would normally go to waste, so from like the dining halls and buffets, and bring it to meal sites. Um, in the community. And we scaled that to about 200, 250 colleges across the country. Um, and we're running that as a nonprofit while we were still students. And then uh, during the senior year, I was doing kind of the uh, exploring career options. I was failing miserably at trying to become a consultant because I refused to put on a suit for the interviews. Uh, I was applying to be a truck driver for a fair trade coffee company. Um, and then Ben Simon came to visit because he was speaking nearby, and. And and put the sweet potato down. Said this is the future. He said, I've been out to California. I've visited the farms. There's twenty you know million pounds uh, or twenty percent, sorry, of the produce uh, that's grown in California is going to waste. Three billion pounds in California alone, and we're going to create a market for consumers to have access to ugly produce uh, at an affordable price and stop this from going to waste. And uh, it wasn't hard to convince me.
0: Yeah. Wow. And when was that?
1: That would have been in, so my senior year of college would have been uh, fall of 2014, and then we basically spent uh, the first half of 2015 learning about the issue, putting a team together, raising money, getting a forklift, getting a warehouse, Uh, and we moved out here in July, and a month later, on August 8th, 2015, uh, we sold our first box of produce.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. So... Um, talk me through like is I know you guys ran the non-for-profit, but this is um, your first for-profit startup? Yeah yep okay wow, incredible success thus far for your first first venture. Um, so I'm curious talk to me about how much did you raise and what was the process like early days getting your first customer because it's not that easy.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, we don't really disclose how so much we raise, but I can say that uh, raising the first money uh, is the hardest by far because you're just selling people on an idea. And not only that, it was you know two somethings who had run a nonprofit trying to sell people on an idea. So um, we were really lucky to have some great early founder uh, some great early funders. Um, but it was definitely not easy. Um, as for our first customer. Um, you know, I don't remember exactly the first customer. I mean, we put up a website and said, all right, well, what's going to happen now? Um, and people did start signing up, but I think our first big round of customers, I remember, I think it was the, uh, maybe the day we launched, uh, there was a New York Times article about us and, you know, growing up the East coast the New York times is like, you know, it's like close to godliness. Um, and so I thought that was going to be huge, you know, like everyone's going to sign up and I think we got like 10 signups from it. And then about a week later, uh, we got like 150, 200 customers signing up. And I was like, Whoa, where did this come from? And it was someone had posted on Reddit. Hey, this is a great new service. You should try it. <laughs> um, and so I always laughed at that, that Reddit had more power uh, on people's buying decisions than the New York times, I guess. So, uh, that was really how we got our first uh, group of customers. And it kind of just spread through word of mouth from there.
0: I see. And. What did your your team look like like first like uh, like who did you hire um, for your original first like uh, founding team I'm curious.
1: Yeah, so there were there were three of us um, who kind of started originally um, uh, myself, uh, Ben Simon, and a third person named Ron Clark um, who uh, had a lot of connections to the farms and managed on the supply side of things. Um, but the first four people we hired, uh, were, were basically teenagers to go door to door and try and sell subscriptions to people on the ground and hand out flyers. Um, and for the first, probably six months, the whole office team, every Friday would go to the warehouse and pack the produce. Like there was no warehouse team. It was just all of us Friday morning. It was packing the produce. And then it became all of Friday. And then it became Thursday. And then we were like, we should probably hire some people to do this um, because we don't get any actual work done on Thursdays and Fridays. Um, And then we started building out the team a lot more, but uh, yeah, for a while it was the three of us and uh, a bunch of kids going door to door selling uh, not kids, but a bunch (laughs) of young adults going door to door, uh, selling produce and handing out flyers.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. So you, you really were doing things that didn't scale.
1: Yeah. I, I guess I would say that, you know, do I drive a forklift anymore? No. But, uh, those early days I would get a call from a driver at four in the morning, climb over my very unhappy girlfriend, uh, bike to work and go meet the truck because someone needed to receive the produce. So we were, we were really doing it all. And it was, it was fun.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So, um, talk to me around kind of fast forward to now, where is, like imperfect produce at, and um, can you talk, give us an idea around traction, any numbers that you feel comfortable sharing around subscription or anything?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So uh, fast forward, we just had our fourth birthday uh, a few days ago. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. We now have six fulfillment centers across the country. We serve uh, between 20 and 25 different kind of cities and regions. Uh, all the way from California to Texas, to the Midwest, to the East Coast as well. Um, and uh, we've grown the team. We have over a uh, thousand employees on the team, uh, all of which uh, are full-time, good-paying living wage jobs, which is something we're really proud of. Um, we don't talk too much about subscriber numbers, but I would say it's, I, I say it's somewhere in the, in, the, in the six digits. Um, is what I can share. uh, And I've had really great uh, response from customers. Um, It's been amazing to to be able to grow that much. And I would say the other thing that's different is in the last year or so we've actually expanded beyond produce. Um, So we've started fighting food waste across the whole grocery store. So looking at dry goods, canned goods, dairy, uh, starting to look at proteins as well, and really expanding the amount of food that we can recover, and also uh, giving our customers more of a chance to kind of do their shopping in one place and help fight more food waste.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's um, it's such a really smart idea because you hear of like the 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 standards that the supermarkets have for produce, and you hear like you know if this one's a little bit you know, not the right shape, whatever, they'll just get rid of it. So you guys have just, yeah, kind of slotted in and really, um, yeah, helping with sustainability, but, but at the same time, like the food is totally fine, right? It's just how it looks. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We always say, uh, you know, ugly on the outside, beautiful on the inside looks different, you know, tastes the same. Um, and there's really, as you mentioned, opportunities like this across the whole food system. So whether it's surplus or ugly produce, you know, these crazy standards that the grocery stores have set for growers. Um, but also if you look at like packaged goods, like if you look at a thing of, you know, canned beans, right, that's going to last through the apocalypse. They're probably still down in nuclear fallout shelters from the 19, you know, 50s, 1990s. Um, but they all have this Best Buy date, right? And you're not going to, you're not supposed to sell it after that date, right? As if it's going to go bad, right? But there's, There's no food safety concerns there. And actually, we found that, uh, according to some research by Refed um, that they've done, the number one uh, reason food is wasted in the country is confusion uh, around date labeling. Uh, And so we're starting to do a lot of work there um, beyond produce to rescue the food. But it's crazy as a country and as a world. uh, We grow enough food. We produce enough food to feed the whole world three times over. It's just about uh, getting it to people at the right time.
0: Yeah, look, it happens across, yeah, like not even just food, you're right, like other industries too because when I was in college, um, you know, I was working a college job at um, – you guys have an America Target, right? You have, mm-hmm. you have Target. And I was working in the warehouse and I would – like they had a big skip in the warehouse and the people would, would take things to me and say, hey, you've got to throw this out. And it would be like, you know, a chair or a table, but it's got a little bit of a mark on it. And I have to break it down in and throw it into the skip. And I used to be like, no, no, I'll, I'll take that. Can I take that home? <laughs> and, and if I got permission, I'd be able to take it home because there's nothing and that's wrong how you, with it. You,
1: that's how you furnish. If we go over to your apartment, your flat now. <laughs> you just got, you got marked up target furniture all over the place.
0: Exactly. So. This is a serious problem within the world because people are very, very fussy and they want things that are perfect.
1: Yeah. And I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't put blame on any, you know, any one person or organization, right? I mean, I understand why a retailer, you know, if you start seeing scuffed up stuff at Target, you know, maybe you're you know, start questioning it. But I think there's really an opportunity here to create a market for stuff like that because it may not be for everybody, But uh, there's, like you said, there's huge demand, especially for us. It's all about pairing it with the savings. So not only feeling good about your purchase, but like, I guess for you, the chair was free. But, you know, giving a big discount to our customers, you know, allows people to save money and kind of uh, increase the sustainability in the world at the same time, which we feel like those two things go together really well.
0: Yeah, I see. I love it. So incredible mission, uh, solving a really like a a painkiller problem. Uh, in in the world um so talk to me around i'm still curious around the early days because um from you know the the growth that you guys have achieved you know in the six figures of subscribers um are, are you up to a series c you raise series c or you don't even talk about rounds
1: we we know we can we, we've raised the series b um, and we're looking at our next series. I mean, I guess you can assign whatever letters you want to this, but uh, that's probably the terms that people would, would recognize going out for a series C in the next, uh, you know, a few months, I would say, but um, we've had a great group of investors.
0: Yep. Okay. Awesome. So I'm still curious around the early days because, you know, you get your first round of customers, um, you know, the product market fit bang. What was next? How the hell did you scale this thing? Because, you're competing, like it, 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 there is no, was there a blue ocean? What like, was it just like, just such an easy sell? Um, like, like talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. I think if I'm going to be, you know, kind of open up here and be honest, I think that um, there was a blue ocean. It and was. I think as a okay. result of it, yeah, I think as a result of it, we didn't, we weren't forced to look hard enough at product market fit, um, which suddenly something come a little bit later. Basically we were selling this box of produce, People were buying it. The concept was catching on. The press was all over it. You know, the word of mouth was great, and so we just started like growing, right? You know, we expanded from we. we have, I think we started out serving maybe two cities, and then we opened up, you know, ten more uh, in the East Bay, and then you know we expanded to San Francisco, and then you know eventually went down to LA, and we just it was basically like keeping our heads above water trying trying to grow. I think um, like you said the concept was just so catchy, right? Save money rescue this ugly produce. I think, uh, one of the, the brilliant early things our marketing team did once we had a marketing team was, I think for a giveaway for our first birthday, they put googly eyes in all the boxes and said to customers, take a picture of the produce with googly eyes and, you know, tag us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And that just took off and became like a huge, uh, a huge hallmark of our, uh, our brand. And now we put googly eyes on everything. Um, but, but I think that we were really just focused on, I mean, it's a very operationally intensive business, right? We, we wanted to provide good jobs. So we were doing everything ourselves, the delivery, the warehouse, you know, et cetera. And so we were just struggling to keep up with demand. And I, I think that we would have actually been better served facing some challenges early on, because I think it really forces you to think about, is this the right product for my customers? You know, we never, to be totally honest, we never started this company for our customers. You know, it's probably a bad thing to say. We started this to fight food waste, right? And so we, we didn't really examine of, you know, do customers want this every week, every other week, do they want to do all their shopping in one place, et cetera, until much later on, it was just, you know, get all the produce we get our hands on and get it out the door.
0: Yeah, I see so this is an interesting problem to have because that this is quite rare, right that you find yeah this amount of traction out of the gate so like you know for, 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 for every for an everyday startup that, that launches. So I'm curious you said that you guys found product market fit later in the journey, which is different. So so talk to me around the process of that and what actually changed. did you make a slight pivot?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think there's probably two main uh, times when, we, when we, we really examined that. One was probably about six months in um, when, you know, so when we started out, it was similar to CSA, where basically you just got a random box of produce every week. Um, and that was really great operationally because we didn't have to deal with, you know, unique orders, et cetera. But, you know, we started realizing that if we wanted to scale beyond just the pretty limited kind of, you know, produce box market, We'd have to let people choose, you know, what they get every week. You know, we, we got so many complaints. Oh, I have, I love what you guys do, but I have, I have eight weeks of sweet potatoes in my kitchen. I don't know what to do with it. Or uh, I'm allergic to green peppers, you know. And so the first thing we did is we started allowing customers to basically do a la carte shopping. So you still had a subscription and we still suggested items for you every week if you wanted to kind of set it and forget it. Yes. But you could pick exactly what went in the box and, uh, you know, you would just pay the total price of that. I think that was the first time we really stepped back and said, okay, you know, we're going to have to, you know, we looked at the data. It was a big reason customers were canceling because they couldn't choose a win at it and said, it's going to increase our costs. It's going to make it more operationally challenging, but we need to do this if we're going to find product market fit and have customers love it. So that was probably the first big change we made after about six months. Um, And the second change we made was uh, probably about a year ago where we started realizing that if we wanted to be uh, fight more food waste and be an integral part of our customers' lives, we had to be the primary place that they shopped. And that meant fulfilling some of their other needs beyond just produce. And so we spent a lot of time testing that out in San Francisco before scaling it, but basically providing, uh, you know, like I said, dry goods, canned goods, uh, dairy and refrigerated items as well to our customers. Um, because it allowed them to do more of their shopping in one place, reduce their environmental footprint by getting one delivery every week instead of, you know, going to the store or getting many deliveries. Um, and that, that was a big change. It took us, you know, I would say many months, if not years, to make that change because um, we wanted to balance giving our customers what they wanted with our commitment to the environment and to fighting food waste and finding a way to accomplish both at once, right? I mean, if you're just, if you don't have mission, it's really easy. You just sell your customers more stuff and figure out what they want. But mm. for us, we always try and make sure that everything we we offer stays true to our mission, while also being a good fit for the customer.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you guys just really are speaking to people and trying to work out what what makes them stick, but also matching it up with your mission.
1: Exactly, and I mean, if I you know this is not novel advice here, right? But especially in e-commerce, you don't get to interact with your customers that much find ways to interact with them. They're so happy to give feedback and they have really good ideas, both about how to improve and what they love about what you're doing and what you should be doing next. And whether it's talking to them on the phone, in-person surveys, et cetera, like engage with your customers. And we really started doing that in the last few years. And it's really informed how we kind of shape the direction of the business.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that it's spoken about a lot, but you still don't, re- a lot of people still don't really do it, eh? Like, it's just e- It's just easier not to, right?
1: Exactly. And if, if, if it's, I mean, if it's working, you're like, oh, I don't need to talk to my customers. I, you know, I know what's working, but you uncover so much when you actually do it. And it's it's worth its weight in gold, the time you take away from running the business to actually talk to customers and it makes everything so much better.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I'm curious. Is this something like a product manager like usually handles for you guys, right? Or, or you guys get on the ground and 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 uh, speak to customers, meet them on, meet them in person and on the phone too?
1: Yeah, we encourage it across all of our uh, organizations. So product managers for sure, but also starting to distill that data from our customer care team because they're talking to customers every day. Uh, The founders were doing weekly coffees with customers because that was important to us to stay kind of on top of the pulse of of, uh, what our customers were thinking. But even down to like when we have a customer complaint, uh, you know, we'll have the general manager of that warehouse facility call them back and understand what went wrong and, you know, and learn from it because we think it's important that the operators too get to hear that feedback because it's it's uh, you know, you're holed up in a warehouse all day. You forget that has a real impact in customers and and when you get to talk to them, you have some really great insights about how to inform your operation. So we really encourage it across the whole organization.
0: Yeah, that's really smart. I have um I've seen some companies, they make it part of their onboarding process that um there's some level of interaction with customers like um like even Zappos, right? Like in your onboarding, you have to do maybe a couple of weeks or a month of of customer customer success customer service um, no matter where you are like in terms of even if it's like a c-suite position
1: that's smart our, our version of that is everybody has to work a shift in our warehouse so you uh, don the refrigerated jacket and go get a see what the operations are like so it's not customer facing for us but uh, we definitely believe uh, even you know even the CFO has got to know what it's like to work on the line.
0: Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that, that's really cool. And it's something different, right? It's fun, like, you know, to see how it all, how, 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 like the operations of the business and actually what it is you guys are selling, what it's like to actually package the product. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And that's, and that's one of the things that's always been really important to us, you know, so everyone in the company, including warehouse associates and drivers, you know, have stock options, which I think is a, a fairly rare thing in Silicon Valley. Um, So everybody has a, you know, different size, but stake in the success of the company. Um, And we've really felt strongly that uh, we have a one company mentality, as opposed to having uh, kind of different uh, sets of standards for different people in the company.
0: That's cool. Why did you guys decide to do that?
1: Yeah, um, I think we decided to do that. One was just the philosophy of like, Uh, we want everybody to have a stake in this. But I think too, it's that, you know, you, you know, who know, who knew if this company was going to be successful or not, but uh, if it was right, you always see, you know, 90% of the economic gains going to the top, you know, 1% of people in the company, 10% of people, whatever it is. And we want to make sure that even if it was a small amount, everybody would win economically if the company did well. Um, and so I think that was important to us, but also just from a, from a, you know, self interest perspective, it really gets people invested in the company. We wanted, you know, we were kind of pushing back against the gig economy a little bit. We wanted this job you have in the perfect, whether you were a driver and headquarters in the office, customer care to be the last job you ever had. Uh, we wanted people to have careers out of this and, you know, we do all the things, you know, we think we should do healthcare, dental vision, you know, 401k, you know, benefits, but we also thought that they needed to be able to share in the wins if we did well.
0: Yeah. I love that idea of just getting like, yeah, like a one company full buy in. Yeah. It's really smart. So, um, switching gears, like where, what, what, what does a day for you look like now? Are you working on series C? Um, like, yeah. What, 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 like, what is your biggest focus?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I love about this job is no day looks the same as the last day. But um, yeah, I think uh, I would say that a day for me is, you know, meetings with my team, you know, interviews for fabulous podcasts, big part of my day here. (laughs) Really? Um, No, but uh, um, yeah, I think I run specifically the team that's really focused on the grocery expansion beyond produce. So, uh, and I run our innovation team. So it's really looking at what's the company, where's the company gonna be in six months, one year, three year, five years, and working on those projects. So some of that is fundraising, but a lot of that is really looking at the market, talking with customers and understanding uh, where the business needs to be in the, in the medium term to succeed. And so for us right now, like I said, that's, that's expanding beyond Produce to really become a full uh, shopping experience for our customers. And that cuts across, you know, the website and the product, what we offer to our customers on the sourcing side, how we talk about ourselves. Um, So it's a lot of kind of strategizing.
0: Yeah, got you. It's interesting because, um, yeah, I've never really seen or or it's uncommon for a co-founder to have the title of um, chief innovation officer.
1: Yeah, I think they gave me that title because they couldn't figure out what else to do with me. Um, (laughs) But uh, I've I've held a lot of titles here, right? So like I was COO when we started Chief Operating Officer. And then we got big enough where I said, you know what, we should probably hire someone who knows what they're doing. And so we brought on, you know, senior leaders there. And, um, you know, for me, what I love doing is getting projects off the ground and starting them. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't think I do well at a big company because I I'm not a kind of you know keep the trains running kind of guy. I'm a think of ideas, get them started, and get them running. And so we kind of crafted that role to be kind of six month to one year projects that were crucial to the company, but didn't necessarily live in an existing department. Um, and so I've been able to do that for probably the last two years now, and it's it's definitely been the be- the best time of my life.
0: Yeah that that's that's that would be actually really fun. So you. Mainly work on just new projects, fun stuff, and um, yeah, you've got a a, a CEO and a leadership team that uh, is lead, helping lead and and op, and uh, manage. That's that's the dream, right?
1: I know. When I when I get bored, <laughs> we pass it off and and, and and move on to the next
0: one. That's cool. So, talk to me around like challenges. Like like hasn't. You know, you said you had the blue ocean, uh, but within that comes challenges in of itself around scale and uh, supply. So talk to me around challenges that you guys have had because building a business is not easy, especially uh, in a category that didn't exist a few years ago.
1: Yeah, and 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 it's not exactly a sexy category. It's not exactly a high margin category either.
0: So. Um,
1: yeah, I think you know there's a few big challenges we face. I think one you hit on is really the scale. I think to give you an idea, and, and don't quote me in these numbers, but I think you know, at our first birthday party we were nine people. At our second birthday party we were 40 people. At our third we were 400, and our fourth we were over a thousand, right? So we basically hired well over a thousand people in four years. And that comes with its own set of challenges from especially in this in, environment that we're in, which is which is great economically. But, um, you know, but recruiting talent, retaining talent, putting in place processes, right, putting in place procedures, uh, all the stuff that that I don't love doing. Um, it's it, you, you, you go from I can touch every aspect of the business to we have to put in place a structure where uh, you're letting go of certain things and trusting your people to manage them. Um, and so that was just, I mean, those, some of those years, years, two, and three were rapid, rapid growth. Um, and that just came with a lot of people management challenges, like how to set up an organization. And neither of the founders, to be honest, were experienced running large organizations. And so that was definitely, uh, you know, we were like, okay, we just hire hundred people easy. Right. And it's like, no, that's not something you just snap your fingers and do. Um, and we've been blessed that it's been easy to hire and recruit people because of our mission, but uh, it's still it's we're in a tough environment for hiring. It's still a struggle. So that was definitely um, one of the big challenges. And the second was just like we're a we're a logistically intensive business, right? We set up for all intents and purposes, 25 facilities across the country in the span of four years uh, with with very little capital in the grand scheme of things. Um, and you're you learn to do all these things you never thought you'd do. So like negotiating leases, you know, leasing vans. You know, figuring out portlets, um, et cetera. And uh, it's it's uh, dealing. It's harder to scale a business that has a physical product than it is just a website or an e or something. So um, we were definitely uh, definitely a challenge there.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd love to delve a bit deeper on that scale because that's that's crazy. So were you guys? basically following like the blitz scaling model that Reed Hoffman talks about where you, you just don't have the luxury to find maybe even an A player and you're just looking for someone that, that is like, can just do the job and like, cause that's insane.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, I'd be lying if I said we subscribe to any uh, models <laughs> we were, we just uh, doing everything we could to keep our head above water. Um, but I think how I think about that is uh, I come from a theater background backstage. And I have a, we have a saying that says, good, fast, cheap. You can have any two of those, but you can't have all three, right? And so we were definitely doing fast. And I think we didn't want to sacrifice on good. And so the thing that you sacrifice on is cheap. And that's not to say money necessarily. It's just time, Right. Putting all the time into that hiring. And so I think we always did try and get in a team, but we run ourselves ragged into the ground to do it, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that's really uh, what took. I mean, you know, if we had gone slower, could we have worked things out a little better? For sure. You know, I think that's true. But I think we are really happy with the team we were able to put together. I think the mission really helped that because um, people were really excited to work for a company that kind of gave them purpose in their daily life.
0: Yeah, I see, and uh, that makes sense. Um, one thing one of my mentors uh, said to me was, um, he said, uh, someone asked him if he would start, if he could start all over again, and when it comes to kind of building a team and hiring people, he said, like he said, someone asked him, like if he could do that, what would he do? And he said he would just hire just way more experienced people. Um, he believed he he told me that he believed from his experience that. It's much easier to grow a company much faster and get traction if you have people on the bus that have seen the Matrix, seen the movie, done it before, and just have a lot more experience versus somebody um, that you inherently need to train. What is your thoughts? Yeah, on? and it's
1: yeah, it, it's it's funny. That's uh, if you were going to ask me the advice, I would say the exact same thing. And a mentor told me that as well, and stuck with me. And it's not for all businesses, but for a high growth business, you should hire people early that you have no business hiring at that size, right? So I look to uh, Stitch Fix, which is kind of um, some of the people there have been mentors to us. And they hired their COO from Walmart.com and their CTO, who was super experienced when they had five employees. And they both stayed at least four years. And actually, their COO is still with the company. Um, and. That is, I think, something that we didn't do as well as we could have. I think we hired a great team, but I don't think we were ready to kind of let go because it's scary and hire those senior experienced people when we saw that this was taking off. And, uh, you know, because it's easy to say, I talk about my first employees being these, you know, uh, you know, teenagers going door to door, right? Like that's what you need at the time. You don't think about what you need in a year from now. And I couldn't agree more with that advice that that uh, that you mentioned.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. So talk to me, we have to work towards wrapping up, but, um, talk to me what's exciting for you guys right now. Um, you know, you, you said you guys are moving into, into different, um, like kind of packaged, packaged, uh, packaged, uh, foods and, and all sorts of things. Um, is that's what, yeah. Like what's exciting right now?
1: Yeah, I would say that's, I mean, I'm a broken record here, but that's, that's what's exciting to me is a chance to rescue more food across the whole food system and also provide customers a way to do their whole meal planning and shopping for the week in one place with a company they value. That's what excites me. That's the new thing we're going into. Online grocery is heating up fast. All the players are getting in and we really see an opportunity to be one of the first companies that combines value with values and lets you feel good about your purchase from a sustainability standpoint without sacrificing the amount of money you have to spend to do it. In fact, saving you money at the same time. And so that's really exciting. We've seen some really good early results on that and we're excited to roll it out to the rest of the country to uh, have all of our customers experience what it's like to do kind of uh, all of their shopping with Imperfect.
0: Amazing. Uh, Any international plans?
1: You know, I I have dreams of it, but um, we have a lot of the U.S. still to tackle
0: yeah still need yeah so much work to be done right
1: yeah and i think that goes back to the product market fit too and feeling more confident that we have it exactly right before scaling too um and this is also like food waste is a problem everywhere but um in some in some some kind of sense of the word it's a little bit of a uniquely u.s problem and It's really about understanding the nuances of where food is going to waste in each context. And it might look a little bit different in Canada or England or India or China or South America, you know, than it does in uh, the U.S. And so wanting to make sure we have our hands around that before we dive in.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Two last questions. Uh, One, any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience, Uh, mainly people that want to start a business or have just launched something?
1: Yeah, Um, for people who want to start a business, this is going to be anticlimactic. But um, do your research, see what's out there. Uh, There are so many great companies doing great work. And while I will never ever discourage something from starting something, and I think everyone should follow their dreams here. There's so many ways to innovate, whether it's a new company within an existing company. So really understand the problem you're solving and what's out there before just jumping in. And for people who are starting a business. You're going to get a lot of no's, whether it's investors, customers, the press, employees, but that's natural and keep on fighting for what you believe in because when you get those yeses, it feels so good.
0: Love it. And uh, where's the best place? Last question. Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work?
1: Yeah. Uh, If you go to imperfectproduce.com, you can learn a lot more about what we're doing you can check out any of our social feeds as well. But imperfectproduce.com or imperfect.com uh, are where you can find out all the information, better service, sign up, learn more about it, uh, and and help the world.
0: Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Benjamin. Uh, really appreciate it. Congratulations on all your success and the work that you're doing. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Hope you have a great day.
1: Really appreciate it. Thank you as well.
0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview.